Have you given yourself the freedom to fail? In this show, we discuss how physicians can pursue financial independence with a minor shift of perspective on failure and why it's a good thing. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Doc G is our guest, and he is a physician blogger at diversify.com who cares deeply about his profession and also about helping physicians be in control over their mindset around money. Sounds a little familiar. We talk deeply about behavioral finance and how giving yourself the freedom to fail and be in search of what your purpose actually is helps you become more satisfied with how you're living your life. You might notice the name Doc G as I've actually highlighted him on the show before. We had an episode titled, No One Cares More About Your Money Than You, and we shared his article in that journal club called The Money Mind Meld. That's actually how I became intrigued with his work and why I asked him to join us on the show. This show is sponsored by Physician Wealth Services, my fee-only financial planning firm. After witnessing how vulnerable our physician friends were during my wife's residency and fellowship, I set out to start my own fee-only financial planning practice to help physicians who could truly benefit from unbiased quality financial advice. Our team now helps physicians all over the country create a life they love using the resources they have to help them feel in control of their money the same way that you make a patient feel better about their health. If you're looking for a fiduciary that truly understands the life of a physician family, I encourage you to reach out directly at physicianwealthservices.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's jump right in and talk with Doc G. Enjoy the show. Doc G, it's amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm real excited about it. Absolutely. So we've actually highlighted you on the show before. It was Chris Mamula's show back on No One Cares More About Your Money Than You. We talked on one of your articles, The Money Mind Meld. So listeners are familiar with you and kind of what you've been up to. That's what sparked me to reach out to you and be like, you've got to be on the show. It was such a cool article. Today, I want to talk a lot on the philosophy of financial independence. I hear it a lot of financial independence is just going to fill that void, right? I'm going to save. I'm going to side hustle here and there. Everything's going to be well, right? It's I've got 25X and everything's good. There's so much more to it than that. Let's start with some background on your philosophy towards financial independence, and let's just take it from there. I think at its most basic, financial independence is a tool. When we start out our careers, we leap into a field of work. We don't know what it's going to be like. I leapt into being a physician. Some people become lawyers or accountants or bus drivers. When you begin your career, you're not sure. As you traverse that career, at some point you reassess and you say, boy, I really love this. I feel like I'm kind of fulfilling my purpose in life. At other times, you take a look at that career and say, I can do this and it's okay, but I don't feel like I'm doing something particularly special. If you're that first person who's like, I'm fulfilling my purpose, you're kind of done in a sense. You can continue doing that job. And whether you are financially independent, whether you have enough money to quit any time or not is not nearly as important. But 
for a lot of people, they look at their career and say, while work is okay, or, or maybe they look at it and say, boy, I really don't like it that much. They run into the problem of how do I change life in such a way that I can start doing more of what I want. And that's where I start looking at financial independence as a tool. So it's a tool to be used when the things you're doing with your time aren't supporting your purpose and your meaning. I think people tend to look at financial independence as something a lot more than that. They look at it as an endpoint. I think that's a problem because really it's a beginning. And I think if you look at it as your endpoint, you're going to get there and find that it was a place to strive towards. It was a tool to use towards other things. But in and of itself, you're not going to find a lot of meaning and purpose identity, connection, all those important big words we use to describe what we look for in life, having enough money to survive comfortably won't really answer those tougher questions. That's interesting. So financial independence is not the end point, it's the starting point. I think that was brilliant. What you said reminded me of something actually Gary V said. I actually follow him because I think it's really motivational. And sometimes when I get in a rut, I think it's interesting. But he said, when 65% of your time you absolutely hate, and you're so excited for Friday afternoon because you're done with the work week. Now, I know physicians don't typically have a Friday, like it's all over the board, but the concept is there, right? When you hate what you're doing, and you're so excited for the days off, Something needs to change. Something needs to switch. Maybe financial independence is that huge goal to get someone to do it. But if you're a physician that loves what you're doing, or in my case, I'm an advisor, I love what I do. I have found my calling. I found my thing. It took me 30 some odd years to get here, but I love what I do. Finally, I don't view it as financial independence is my thing because I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. So I think it's really interesting. And I'd like to go maybe a little bit deeper onto financial independence isn't the end point, it's the starting point. It really depends on where you are in life. Because in some ways, I think your finances, we don't want it to be the starting point or the end point. We just want it to be another side of your life. Ultimately, hopefully your starting point is what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do with my life? And that doesn't mean your job has to fulfill your purpose, but it means that every person has certain activities, certain joys, certain goals that mean something to them. And so the real question is, how do you start from a place where you're pursuing those? And then how do you tie in your finances to support the goal of getting there? For those of us who have not found that purpose in work, Financial independence becomes important because you want to get there so you can relieve yourself of work so you can focus on those other things. If you are thoughtful enough or lucky enough at the beginning of your career when you don't need much money, you can actually start melding your life into what you want it to be in the first place. And then the finances, again, you need enough money to survive. You certainly want to be a good steward of your money. You want to save. You want to invest. You want to be smart about it, but it becomes a lot less important. Just like for you, it's a lot less important because if you have found what brings you purpose in life, you don't have any real need to escape your W-2 job. That might be what you enjoy. Well, that's almost in theory what I did. I was working for other planners. I started off my career like at Merrill Lynch, which was terrible. I needed that escape. I needed to do something. But once I set off on my own three plus years ago now, almost four years ago, this was it. I found it and so excited and I'm super fortunate. I know a lot of physicians, you guys don't 
become doctors because you're going to become wealthy. That's not the main driver. Very, very rarely do I hear someone say, oh, I became a doctor just because I knew I was going to make four or five, 600,000 and that's it. Most physicians that I speak with, it's, you know, it's my calling. I love what I do. And maybe you're sick and fed up with admin or EMR, something terrible that you guys have to deal with on a daily basis. It's not based on money. And that's what I want people to take away is the behavioral side of all of this. In every show I've talked about, there's the finance piece with the numbers and there's the finance piece with the emotions and the behavior. You said something that I think is interesting. You were talking about like, what is my purpose? And I look at it as what's your ideal life look like? How would you set up your ideal life if you could blank slate and what's kind of holding you back? One thing that you wrote on your blog, you said, although I'm financially independent, the wall of fear has kept me from leaving work completely. And so my question to you, if you don't mind, is what's holding you back? I think there are what I call the what ifs. And I think they're the minor what ifs and then the major what ifs. Mm. The minor what ifs are what if I planned incorrectly and don't have enough money? What if catastrophe hits? What if the market slumps like it's never slumped before? Those are big things we worry about, but they're really kind of minor if you take it into the context of the bigger what ifs. What if I've developed my life around this job and now that I don't like it anymore, I don't have a purpose? What if I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life? What if being a physician is all that I am? And so for a physician, at least, the idea of leaving your profession, even if you're financially independent, but leaving it to try a different sort of life is incredibly scary. We've spent the most formative years of our lives striving towards this identity. And it feels good, right? You say, I'm going to become a physician because I'm going to be able to help people. Then when you become a physician and you have this power to step into the exam room and possibly help someone, deeply help them, not minorly, you can actually possibly change someone's life by walking in the door. That becomes who you are. And for a lot of us in medicine, as the years have passed, we've found that just as much as that has built us into the people we're proud of, parts of medicine have torn us down. We've found that the practice of medicine has been exhausting and sometimes scary and that the changes in medicine have made us feel helpless because where all we want to do is help our patients, sometimes we feel like the compliance and the charting and the electronic medical records and the rules are getting in our way. So you have these people who came to this profession with all the hope and joy of helping the world and then they develop this huge identity around it. Now there's this new problem where it's not bringing them joy anymore, and maybe they're having burnout, and maybe they're starting to think that they have other purpose in life. For me to try to step away and examine that other portion of who I am was difficult. It was hard to say that one day I wouldn't be walking into the exam room and be the guy who could go in and do something important, that I would have to actually establish myself outside of the medical world and have to create another purpose for myself, another sense of importance of what I'm doing day to day has meaning. And that's scary. I mean, it's scary to leave the thing that I thought I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. It is especially for me because my father was a physician and he died when I was eight years old. So to me, I grew up with this idea that I was going to walk in his footsteps 
in a sense, I was going to complete the job that he died too young to complete. So I had that extra layer of, well, what does it mean if I leave medicine? I mean, this is one of the few connections I still have to my father because he died when I was young enough where I didn't know him as an adult. I didn't even know him as a teenager. And I think other people thinking about leaving whatever profession they are in, and especially as physicians, people who talk about not just leaving, but cutting back or moving to more administrative roles, really have to face these fears. And the funny thing is you can't even talk your way through them. These are fears you almost have to live through and you have to develop another part of yourself. It takes some work. It takes a lot of deep thought. It takes vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability is scary. Yeah. One of the biggest things I hear is the fear of failure. People are just afraid like you guys are the top 1% of the 1% in terms of brain capacity and knowledge. The brightest of the brightest become physicians. It's true. And we do not like failing. But the other side of that is, and one thing I think we forget is for me, becoming financially independent has given me freedom to fail completely. I can move my time away from medicine. I can become a blogger or a podcaster or a public speaker and I don't have to be successful. In fact, the only thing I really have to do is enjoy what I'm doing. If so, I enjoy it, that's good enough. And if I'm a middle-rate blogger and no one reads what I write, but I like doing it every day, that's good enough. And if I make a podcast and I have 10 people who listen on a regular basis and no one else does, but it brings me joy to have these conversations, that's enough. And if I decide to do public speaking and no one wants to hire me, and so I go speak at community centers about things that I'm passionate about. I don't have to rely on income from it. I don't even have to rely on achievement or acclaim. That's the power of financial independence. It allows me to just kind of pursue what I want and I can fall on my face and that's fine. The freedom to fail completely. That's something that you never hear ever. Yeah. And you know, we are such achievement oriented individuals. I mean, to become a physician, and I would say to become financially independent, you have to be hugely achievement oriented. But here's the problem with achievements. It's the same as the problem with spending. So we talk about spending and you talk about the hedonic treadmill, right? This idea that you spend, it makes you happy for a short period of time. But next thing you know, you've got to go to buying the next thing because you want to keep up those good feelings. And once the surge goes away and you get used to what you have already, it's like you had never bought something new. Well, achievement is kind of the same way. And so we all are highly achievement focused people. But the problem with achievement is even after you achieve something amazing, it only sits with you so long before that's your natural state and it no longer feels like you achieved much. And then you're striving already for the next achievement. So the ability to fail completely, the ability to relieve yourself of the achievement treadmill for me too is a big portion of it. It's okay if I don't take whatever I do to the next level. And I've never had that in my life, especially being a physician. Being a physician, you always want to improve. You always want to go to the next level. And it wouldn't be fair to your patients if you didn't always want to improve and do better, right? I mean, you have a responsibility to those patients that you are learning and growing and becoming better. It's an amazing freedom not to have to do that, to search out more the joy and the fun part of doing things as opposed to wondering where it leads next. So what about the physician that's sitting here saying like, that sounds great, except for I can't turn it off? It really depends on who you are and what's of real importance. So 
me turning it off has been a work in progress, mm-hmm. right? So it's not something I did overnight. It's something actually that I've done over years. I first discovered financial independence probably in around 2014 when I heard about Jim Daly and the White Coat Investor and I read his book. And that gave me the vocabulary to realize that I was financially independent. And then that was when the fears really kicked in because I'm like, oh my God, I could leave my job anytime. What does that mean to my life? And then I had to read blogs probably for another year or two. Then I had to start my own writing. If you start on the first post in my blog and take it to today, what you really see is it was my process that I had to go through to actually extract myself from medicine. And that's exactly what I did. I started writing every day, writing about what I was feeling, what I was going through, what all this meant. And that gave me the strength to start pulling back. It's like a daily meditation. You sit down and you write about whatever you're thinking. And ultimately, what you're thinking about eventually is, how am I going to get over some of that fear? How am I going to turn off some of that achievement treadmill? And writing on a regular basis, blogging, becoming part of this financial independence community actually helped me realize and actualize this change in myself. It's diversify.com, right? So this is where you blog. And I really would love for people to go back and start reading some of your early stuff because that's what I did. And that's when I kind of fell in love with what you're doing. Even though I'm in a different profession and yes, I work with doctors, like it still speaks to me because I, I love the philosophy of stuff, the behavior finance, the philosophy around all the financial topics. It's just fascinating to me. One thing you said though, is you found financial independence and then became worried. Whereas I see everything usually is I'm worried and I want financial independence. So if you don't mind, like tell us about the early days of you blogging and when you found financial independence and then you became worried, like what was the thought process? And I know some of these are your earlier posts, but maybe just take us and walk us through that a little bit. I learned that I was financially independent over a period of a day or two, right? So my story is I was writing about medicine for years on another blog in which I wasn't anonymous. And I had been writing about what it feels like to be a doctor, telling stories. About 2014, Jim Daly wrote to me, or actually I think he called my office and asked me to review his book, The White Coat Investor. And I had no idea who he was, but he had known that I had a blog and he was looking for some reviews. And so I read his book and within a day or two, I realized I pretty much was financially independent And emotionally, I was at that point where I was getting burnt out and fatigued from medicine. So it's like the world starts talking to you. So I was already like talking to my financial advisor, talking to my family. Hmm, I wonder how much I really need in order to slow down at work or maybe stop working. And I got all the regular answers, right? My financial advisor at the time said, eh, you probably need double. I asked my accountant and my accountant, who's my mother, she kind of said, eh, you probably need around 10 million in the bank. 10 million. Yeah. 10 million. How much are you spending a year? (laughs) Well, well, that was the thing about my financial advisor. Who's a great guy. He's a family friend. He asked, well, how much do you want to spend in the year? And I'm like, oh, 250, $300,000 a year. I had never looked at my budget. I'm a fairly financially savvy person and we never spent a lot, but it's not like I ever really looked at my budget to see how much I was spending each year. Clearly that was a lot more than I was spending or needed. So of course my numbers were going to look off if you multiply $300,000 times 25 times, you get a pretty big number. Yeah, well, it's Um, garbage in, garbage out, right? So if you don't have the right details, then you don't know what you're exactly aiming for. I found out 
almost immediately on the drop of a dime that I was financially independent, but I hadn't emotionally had any thought or time to prepare myself for that. And again, getting to that discussion of, I grew up so tightly wrapped around this idea of being a physician. It was such a big part of my identity and my connection to my father who had died and my purpose in life that when I realized all of a sudden that I could walk into work the next day and quit, it petrified me. It was like, oh my God, what now? It was never a possibility before. I I knew I was having some problems with medicine. I knew that some of my purpose involved writing and communicating and public speaking, but I had never really allowed myself to pursue that because it would take a lot of time and energy ever to do as well at that as I was doing it being a physician. It would be so hard to make as much money doing that as I could make as being a physician. So I was able to push that down and ignore it and kind of do it on the side, but never throw my passions into it. So to all of a sudden realize that I could do this made it real. And once it became real, I got really scared because then all of a sudden I had already established myself as a successful physician. All of a sudden I had to rewrite my whole identity. I had to form a new purpose and I had to face the fact of failure. And by that point I hadn't done enough thinking to realizing that actually Failure is a big freedom, right? What I just said, you know, when you become financial independent, you have the freedom to fail. But when I had first discovered it, I hadn't thought through the whole thing. And so my thought was, I want to get away from this profession a little bit. I want to pursue other things in my life. But I'm 40 years old and I don't know if I'm ready to start again. What happens if I'm a big flop? Currently, are you working as a physician? Have you given up on that? Like, where are you at in that process? So I still work as a physician, but I do it in a very different way. I do believe that being a physician is a big part of my purpose and identity, but not all. I like to say that being a physician is probably the thing I'm best at in life, but what my purpose is probably is more about communicating and creating. I didn't want to let go of being a physician totally for a lot of reasons, but let's focus on the identity portion. I still feel connected to this profession, Hmm. but there are many ways as a physician, we actually have a lot of freedom to change our job into the sort of job we want to do, especially since I'm financially independent, right? So I could go to plan B or plan C, find a role that was not taxing, find a role that took away the things about medicine I didn't like and yet still practice. So I've always had a real joy in practicing hospice medicine. It was one of my first experiences as a medical student. I volunteered in hospice and having a father who died when I was eight kind of made me feel connected to helping people with the death of loved ones. So I had started consulting with a hospice company years and years ago. It was one of my side hustles. As I got closer and closer to being done doing bedside medical care, running my own practice, I kept on increasing the amount I did in the hospice program. Right now, I have what most people would consider a fairly full-time job in hospice, but I do a lot of administrative work. So on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, I have about 12 to 15 hours of meetings. And then my rest of my time is pretty much up to me. I take phone calls. I advise nurses and social workers and chaplains. So I get phone calls and texts all day. 
but they're usually fairly simple, easy things to answer. So I'm only really tied down to 12 to 15 hours a week while I'm having my hospice meetings. It allows me to keep practicing medicine. It allows me to keep helping people. You know, the hospice community is a wonderful community of people. So I get to go meet with teams of nurses and chaplains and social workers who care deeply about their fellow human beings. So I had my own medical practice. I got rid of it. I had a thriving concierge practice. I got rid of that. I was doing telemedicine on the side. I got rid of that. I was doing medical expert work and testifying in court. I got rid of that. And I've really settled mostly on just doing this part-time hospice work. And then the rest of my time is completely for me. So I have 11 and a 14-year-old, and I'm there in the mornings when they leave, and I'm usually there when they come home in the day. I do a lot of writing. As you know, I've started a podcast, so we're spending time building the podcast. I do public speaking. I work for a speakers bureau, so I do three or four big events a year. I then concentrate on joy. I love reading science fiction, so I usually spend at least an hour or two a day sitting in front of a book. At nighttime, we turn on the TV and relax. I like to exercise. My wife and I go for very long walks. We run. We do exercise videos. I'm thinking of joining a gym just kind of for some of that social atmosphere. So I still get to practice medicine, and I still get to do it in a great way. And not only does that fulfill my purpose, but... One of those fears about being financially independent is that you did all the numbers and something catastrophic will happen. I get to hedge my bets because I get to do something I like that also happens to pay me enough to protect me. You know, we talk about safe withdrawal rates, right? So we talk about the safe withdrawal rate of 4% making you safe, right? So what happens is you draw off 4% of your total net worth every year and you use that to live off of and that should last you for quite a long time. If you decide that there's some types of work that you like and you can make some income at it, you effectively push your safe withdrawal rate down. So my safe withdrawal rate right now is probably about zero. (laughs) Okay. And I can work at this hospice job for decades. I mean, this is part of who I am and what I like doing. So I've created a very strong, secure financial plan. The other way of looking at that is I can use all that extra money for luxury. I have nothing against spending if you like to spend. And so if I want to take a big luxurious vacation and not worry about travel hacking and just go all out and do it, you know, I have the money to do that. And it's because I've decided to keep working. I've just found a work that still fulfills my purpose, yet gives me time to go after and learn and enjoy other parts of my life. Yeah. So this is the FI part of FIRE, right? Financial independence, retire early. And you haven't taken the leap or even want to hit the retire early piece because you're living intentionally. You found something that you love. You took a skill set that you're amazing at that you've perfected over decades and you're applying it to something that genuinely makes you happy. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are very few people who actually are E or retire early. And I think since I'm more about philosophy than kind of how things look at the outset, I would say that one way or another, you're going to do work even after you quote unquote retire, right? So you stop collecting a W-2 income from an employer. You'll call yourself retired, but you might go home and wash the dishes and clean the house. (laughs) So you're going to be doing some kind of work or another. I don't think many of us really do the RE part. Yeah, I guess you could go home, sit, watch TV and vacation all the time. But most of us find some type of work to fill our time, whether we get paid for that work or not is a question. 
Whether we have an employer for that work or not is another question. But generally, I think RE is a misnomer because most of us do some type of work our whole life. Whether we connect it to income or not is a whole other question. I actually completely agree. And that's one of the biggest beef I kind of have with the FIRE movement. I love when people are intentional. you know. And I think a lot of the FIRE bloggers or followers of FIRE get this thing of like, oh, they're super frugal and you know they never enjoy life and they can't do these things. And I think that's because most people think they actually do the RE, the retire early piece on that. And I actually got introduced to FIRE, it's funny thinking on it, with the early retirement extreme book. Okay. That is nuts. I don't know how anyone would want to do that or would like doing that. And I actually don't encourage people to go read that book because you're just going to be like, why would anyone ever do this? But you could probably find a quick synopsis online. It's really nice to hear someone else say what I've been thinking with the retire early. I don't think a lot of people do it. They might preach it. They might show that the math can work, but they're just being intentional, hopefully being intentional with their time like you've been doing. I think it's amazing. So as we wrap up here, I have one question, last question for you. If someone is listening to this right now and they feel like they can't do something different, they feel like they're stuck or they feel like it's too much of their identity, whatever might be holding them back, what would you say to them? I would say a few things. I think first and foremost, you really have to spend a period of time thinking about what you want in life. And I think that sounds like a really easy thing to think about, but it isn't. So I think you first have to start with mindfulness, whether that's a 30-minute meditation every day, whether that's doing what I did, which is just writing a little bit every day. You have to start with mindfulness before you're going to change your life. I think if you can get to that mindful place where you actually know what your goal is, or at least have a clue, like my goals change all the time. And that's okay. So I don't think you have to have the ultimate goal, but you have to have an idea of what will feel better for you. And once you have that idea through opening yourself up to the world, through meditating or writing or just quiet thought on a regular basis, you start incrementally changing. For people who want to take control of their finances, it might be on getting one less cup of Starbucks every day. Or it might be going after that higher paying job. That's when it is when it comes to finances. If it comes to other purposeful things in your life, you have to slowly start taking the steps that are going to get you there. Change doesn't have to be immediate. It doesn't have to be fast. But if you can look forward to six months or a year and say, I've walked a distance and I've improved a little, and you keep doing that, eventually you're going to get to where you want to go. So the person who says, I can't change, I say, think about what you really want and then make the most incremental small changes you can until it becomes bigger. I love it. That's great advice. Thank you for that. So I have shared your podcast, the one I was on, right? The what's up next inside the group. So everyone has kind of heard what you're doing, but tell us like, what about the what's up next podcast and diversify.com? Like, what are you blogging about? And just let people know a little bit about what you're doing. All right. So let's talk about the podcast first. So I'm kind of a talker and most people who know me realize that I like to philosophize. I like to sit around and chat and talk about personal finance as well as life. And I'd been writing for a bunch of months and a few people had come to me and said, hey, you know, you should really do a podcast. Uh, One of them was 
David Boyer from Phyology. Another was Dave from Accidental Fire, both of them that I talked to all the time. And they're like, yeah, you should really do this. And at the time, I had gone to a campfire and I met a guy named Paul Thompson, who's a real estate investor, as well as as kind of a life guru. I've gotten to know him as such after I've known him long enough. Him and I just started the conversation. And we had met a few months before FinCon. We had chatted and said, when we get to FinCon, let's talk about this. Let's kind of push for a way forward. And we went to FinCon and we said, yeah, you and I have a rapport. We could do this. He went to a few of the panel discussions at FinCon. Once we talked about it later on, he's like, I really love some of the panels at FinCon. I wonder if we could do a podcast that's panels. And I really liked that idea because there just weren't many panel podcasts out there. My goal was what I've talked about a lot is I will never be the guy. I'll never be the go-to guy that you're going to read my blog or listen to my podcast and learn how to become financially independent. We have so many great voices out there who will tell you how to save and how to invest and how to earn. And that's never really been my sweet spot. So that's why we called it the What's Up Next podcast is because we wanted to take those financial independence discussions to the next level. We wanted to get past the how and focus more on the why. And what are some of the deeper conversations? Not just say, hey, everybody needs to invest in real estate, but hmm, let's talk about some of the people who didn't do so well in real estate. And should they still be looking into real estate or should they pack it up and do other things? Those type of conversations were the ones we wanted to pursue. And so that's how we've started the podcast. And as you know, starting a podcast has its ups and downs. Uh, The panels are exciting and they're interesting. They're a little bit hard to coordinate at times, but we've really, really enjoyed it. And the great part about that is you get to put these brilliant people out there in front of you. And if you're artful enough to ask a few good questions here and there, they make you look good by talking about all sorts of interesting, incredible things. I love it. Thank you so much for being on. It was a pleasure to have you here. You've got a great podcast. Anyone listening, you can literally search it right now, however you're listening to us, the What's Up Next podcast. It's a great blog, diversify.com. We've highlighted it here. I'll continue to highlight it and promote it because I love the message and what you're doing. Doc G, thank you again for being on. It was an honor. No problem. And thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. Well, that was fantastic. It's Ryan here, and I'm back with a recap of our show. There were so many great points that here are a few that I would like you to walk away with. Doc G talks about fulfilling your purpose. Whether or not you're financially independent is not nearly important, but for those who aren't quite so happy, they run into the problem of wanting to change their lives. That's why he starts looking at financial independence as a tool of the mind. They run into the problem of how do I change life in such a way that I can start doing more of what I want. And that's where I start looking at financial independence as a tool. So it's a tool to be used when the things you're doing with your time aren't supporting your purpose and your meaning. People tend to look at financial independence as something a lot more than that. They look at it as an endpoint. And I think that's a problem because really it's a beginning. And I think if you look at it as your endpoint, you're going to get there and find that it was a place to strive towards. It was a tool to use towards other things. But in and of itself, you're not going to find a lot of meaning and purpose 
identity, connection, all those important big words we use to describe what we look for in life, having enough money to survive comfortably won't really answer those tougher questions. Viewing financial independence depends on where you're at in life. And in some ways, in your finances, you just want to be on the other side of it. Your starting point should be with your purpose. So the real question is, how do you start in a place where you're happy and then find the finances to support that happiness? Ultimately, hopefully, your starting point is, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do with my life? And that doesn't mean your job has to fulfill your purpose, but it means that Every person has certain activities, certain joys, certain goals that mean something to them. And so the real question is, how do you start from a place where you're pursuing those? And then how do you tie in your finances to support the goal of getting there? As Doc G says, you want to save and you want to invest, but you need to be smart about it. If you found your purpose, you have no need to escape your W-2 job. Once you set off on your own, you keep going on that same path and keep pursuing your main life driver. This is where there's finances with numbers and there's finance with emotions. And you have to find the meaning of both, honestly. Even though you're financially independent or you're on your way to be, do you realize what maybe is holding you back? There are what I call the what ifs. And I think they're the minor what ifs and then the major what ifs. Mm. The minor what ifs are... What if I planned incorrectly and don't have enough money? What if catastrophe hits? What if the market slumps like it's never slumped before? Those are big things we worry about, but they're really kind of minor if you take it into the context of the bigger what ifs. What if I've developed my life around this job and now that I don't like it anymore, I don't have a purpose? What if I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life? What if being a physician is all that I am? For a physician, at least, the idea of leaving your profession, even if you're financially independent, but leaving it to try a different sort of life is incredibly scary. We've spent the most formative years of our lives striving towards this identity. Most importantly, I think Doc G talks about giving yourself the room to fail with your finances. And the problem with achievements and failing is that you might fall short in one way or another. And that's why it's so important to get real with what your purpose actually is. Becoming financially independent has given me freedom to fail completely. I can move my time away from medicine. I can become a blogger or a podcaster or a public speaker, and I don't have to be successful. In fact, the only thing I really have to do is enjoy what I'm doing. Doc G also states and starts with a mindfulness before you even think about money. You don't have to know your ultimate goal, but you have to have an idea of what you want to do with your life. What's that starting point? Where are you heading? So I think you first have to start with mindfulness. Whether that's a 30-minute meditation every day, whether that's doing what I did, which is just writing a little bit every day, you have to start with mindfulness before you're going to change your life. To close... Go check out Doc G's new podcast, What's Up Next. Subscribe, get hooked. I've already been there. I love it. I was a guest on there and I find it already so useful and insightful. So go check it out. What's up next? Thanks, Doc G, for being on the show. Great advice. And I appreciate the opportunity to have you on. 
for a quick update around the community, my new daily podcast launched in early February called Physician Finance Minute. If you like the content presented here in Financial Residency, you are going to love the quick one minute tips. So I encourage all of you to head over there, let us know in your favorite podcast app, subscribe to the Physician Finance Minute. I know you're gonna find value and especially for it being free and only a minute long. Hey everyone, listen up real quick. As your host of the Financial Residency Podcast, I'm not an attorney, a psychic, nor do I even play one on TV. I am so glad that you're here and that you are excited about your finances. There's no purchase necessary to win, but you do need to know that your money decisions should be talked through with someone knowledgeable about your financial situation. And that person isn't me unless you're already a client, and then that's a totally different story. So consult an attorney, the CPA, or heck, reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, to help you get on your feet the right way. Next week, we have such an interesting show planned. I interview Peter Hug, who's the Director of Global Trading at Kiko Metals, about investing in precious metals. Never done a show like this before, it was really fun, and it might shock you how our conversation ended up going. Have a great week. Until next time. Cheers.